The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. And if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them up to Matthew uh, chapter 8 this morning. Matthew chapter 8 as we continue our verse-by-verse study through uh, this record of the life of Christ recorded under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Matthew. I, I don't think this passage necessarily fits well on the Sunday after Thanksgiving. As a matter of fact, I don't know what Sunday it would actually fit well apart from maybe during the Halloween season, uh, believe it or not. The, the passage this morning involves Jesus, of course, But it also involves two demon-possessed men. It also involves about 2,000 suicidal, look at that in a moment, pigs. Matthew chapter 8, let's begin reading in verse 28, and we will read to the end of the chapter. And when he, Jesus, had come to the other side, to the country of the uh, Gergesians, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a good way off from there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea, and perished in the water. Then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to depart from the region. In our Western post-enlightenment way of life. We, we like to think that all that is around us is what we see, the materialistic world. We, we like to think even that all of this came about uh, just by materialistic things, which really makes no sense, although they just proclaim matter is eternal. There's always been matter, and a big bang occurred. It collided, and boom, all of this came into being with such design and and, and just wisdom and, and everything that is, uh, makes this universe what it is, and then the mystery even of life and what life is and how life would come about. Put all that to the side. We like to think everything is just materialistic. We like to think everything that happens is just a matter of cause and effect from all of this materialistic stuff, including even ourselves and, and our lives. We like to think many do there is no God. And even those of us who know there is a God often deny the fact that there are demons, that there are devils, that there are fallen angels as well as angels. 
It's a weird. It is weird. I would put. I would write weird over this passage. I would write write weird over the thought of the spiritual realm because it's not what is normal to us in our, especially in our culture, in our way of life and living and thinking. Uh, but the Bible makes clear, as this passage does, that there is a spiritual realm. That there is a spiritual warfare even. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, Paul warns that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now this passage awakens us to a greater spiritual reality that is all around us, even though we may deny its very existence. You you think of the wickedness of mankind. You know, a lot of what man does is of man, and is of our own volition, and may not even involve a temptation or a possession of a demon. But you look at some of the wicked, most wicked of the wicked acts, you look at mass shootings, you look at the just rampant celebration of grotesque sexual immorality, the deep dark wickedness of some of that, of of the sex trafficking even, and things that go on, and you wonder how any human being could ever with a conscience do such action. Um, I I firmly believe, as the Bible evidences, there are things in this life that are demonically influenced, uh, that, that demons are real according to the Scripture. Revelation chapter 12 mentions that a third of the angels, when Lucifer rebelled against God, that a third of the angels rebelled against him, and that Satan is a real being. He is a fallen angel, and that his demons are real fallen beings. They're angels who have rebelled against God. Now, they are not equal to God. They are not an equal opposite force, as if some kind of think of the yin and yang, as if God's in this balance of of a fight, of of this equal force between the two. No, these are created beings. They are not all powerful. They are not all present. They are not all knowing. They are limited beings just as we are. They are condemned in their sin and their rebellion and and just as we are, only their fates are sealed. There is no repentance among the fallen angels. There is no repentance to be had among the fallen angels. There's only a greater, deeper, darker hatred and opposition to God. And we'll talk about it more as the the sermon unfolds. But repentance is available for for you, for me, for humanity. But, But the angels know nothing. The fallen angels know nothing of repentance. Only hatred and opposition to God. And unwittingly, Unknowingly, even, these angels, these fallen angels, these demons, actually serve the purpose of God, as they do in this passage. As I hope to lead us to see, even, in the text this morning, these angels, fallen angels rather, these demons, are actually being used by God to teach the disciples something, and also to teach us something about who Christ truly is. They understand some things about Jesus that the disciples didn't. And maybe you've heard of the show, seen it, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader, Jeff Foxworthy? Okay, hosted it. Uh, we're going to have a little game show this morning entitled, Are You More Spiritual Than Pig Demons? Do, do you know more than they know? Do you at least understand what they understand? Because Matthew is showing us in the passage this morning that they actually understand some things about Jesus 
and some things even about humanity that, that humanity, you and I, are often blinded to. Things even the demons know. Notice, firstly, the demons know that Jesus is the Son of God. The demons know that Jesus is the Son of God. If you go back to the passage we looked at last week, it started in verse 23, runs through verse 27. Uh, refresh your memories. I know it's been a long week of Thanksgiving, but Jesus commanded his disciples to get into the boat and go over to the other side. In the middle of going through the middle of the night through the Sea of Galilee, a great storm came up. The boat was sinking. Uh, the disciples are panicking. Jesus is asleep in the hole in the stern of the boat. The disciples wake him in panic and fear. Jesus rebukes the wind and the sea. Jesus says, peace be still. And the seas are calmed. The wind goes away in verse 27. Read it with me. As, read it, follow along as I read it aloud. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be? Who is this man that even the winds and the sea obey him? And it's not by accident that Matthew immediately goes into this story next. And when they had come to the other side, to the country of the uh, Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. And then suddenly they cried out saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus? And then they answer the question that the disciples didn't know. That the disciples were coming to understand more and more as they saw Christ, but that the demons even knew and understand Jesus, the Son of God. See, the demons, James says, know that Jesus is God. They know there is a God and they tremble. You realize they knew Jesus was God because Jesus was actually the one that was there when they were created? Like Jesus was actually the one who created them. He is God incarnate, God in the flesh. Colossians 1 verse 15 and 16 says of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. Now, don't get confused over that title, firstborn. Okay, firstborn does not mean that Jesus was the first created being, as false cults and, and her heretical doctrine would proclaim. Jesus is not the firstborn, and that he is the first created being, and then from him comes everything else. That's heresy. That's not right doctrine regarding Jesus. Even the demons know that is not true. Jesus is God. Jesus being the firstborn means that as the firstborn was preeminent, as the firstborn held the title even over the inheritance, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. He is the one that is over it all, preeminent above it all. For by Him, it continues, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him, and all things were created for him. And so these fallen angels, these demons, were created in that original six days of, of creation to be a, a testimony to the glory of Christ. Jesus is the one who brought them into existence. Jesus is their God and their creator. They knew very well who Jesus was. They knew very well Jesus is the Son of God. You know, Matthew has been evidencing this over and over and over again in the Gospel of Matthew, that Jesus was more than just a regular man. 
You could go back to his birth and and the uniqueness of his birth. It was pre-announced. The virgin conception, the fulfilling of multiple Old Testament prophecies regarding his coming. His life even was unique. The temptation in the desert. I actually mistyped that in my notes and it says dessert, temptation in the dessert. That might fit for a Thanksgiving message. Maybe I should preach on gluttony for a moment. The temptation in not the dessert but the desert where where he with, uh, withstood the temptation of Satan himself. The three temptations there. The baptism of Jesus where a voice proclaims from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You get to the teaching of Jesus in chapter 5 through chapter 7. And the people are astonished at his teaching. Why? Because he taught as one having authority. Not like any of the scribes or Pharisees. His teaching evidenced his uh, validation that he truly is the truth incarnate. The, the way, the truth, and the life. He is the Son of God. And then his miracles. And his miracles that were so unique. He did what no typical person could do. He showed through his miracles the, the power over, over sickness and death power over even nature itself to command the storm to, to, to cease, and it did. And then now, Matthew's showing, he, he gives, shows his power even over the demons to command even the, the spiritual realm. And by the demons' very own admission, they proclaim Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God incarnate. And this passage ultimately leads us to have a greater faith in the demons. There's an irony in the contrast that the disciples weren't quite getting who Jesus really was, and yet the demons knew it, and yet the demons have no salvation. They, they will never know redemption, and, and yet the disciples will come to know it. Why? That key word, repentance. Not just a knowledge of God. Not just an intellectual acknowledgement that there is a God and that Jesus is His Son. Not even an intellectual acknowledgement only that, that Jesus died upon a cross for our sins, was buried and raised again. There's more to it than just intellectually coming to the knowledge of such a fact. The demons know these truths, and yet they're lost. Why? Because they know nothing of repentance. Their knowledge of these truths only drives them in a a hardened rebellion against God. Only drives them, as we'll see in a moment, to ask for a little bit longer to continue in disobedience before God. There, there is no repentance found in them. They're incapable of repenting. Whereas God has granted it to you and to me the capability of repentance. To recognize the sinfulness of sin, the error of our way, and to turn to Him and to find His grace and His mercy and His compassion and His love that forgives us and redeems us because of what Christ has done and accomplished for us. This is really a call in recognizing that Jesus is the Christ to repentance and belief. To, to turn from your sin. To turn from your, your failure before God and to, to find in Christ the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the restoration that only comes through Him. The demons know that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you? Notice the second thing that the demons know. Verse 29 at the end, Jesus has authority to judge. Jesus has authority to judge. Their first question, after saying, what do you have to do with us, Jesus? What are you doing interrupting what we're doing? What do they say at the end of verse 29? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Torment, dealing with the just punishment of their sin, of their rebellion against God? 
And then before the time, they, they knew a day was coming where God will judge the living and the dead, where God will bring uh, a judgment upon all that is wicked, upon all that is evil, upon all that is against Him. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41, Jesus mentions that hell itself was created for Satan and the demons. He says, Then I will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for who? The devil and his angels. So hell itself was created for Satan and his angels, and now all who don't know Christ because of our sin and rebellion will accompany them eternally in the lake of fire. Revelation 12.10, I won't read it for sake of time, but Revelation 12.10 says that Lucifer someday, Satan, will be cast into that lake of fire, tormented day and night forever and ever. A day of judgment is coming. Even the demons know it. Have you come to torment us before the time, Jesus? They knew the battle they were fighting is ultimately a lost war. They know in the end that God will win because God is God and they are not. And yet you and I so often live as if a day of judgment is not ever going to come. There's so many around us that pretend as if they'll live this life only. There is no judgment. Hebrews makes clear, Hebrews 9 and verse 27, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, what? Judgment. But God has written eternity upon our hearts. No, we don't exist in eternity past, but from here into the future, after life, there is a heaven and a hell. There is glory and there is judgment. There is eternal forgiveness and there is eternal damnation. You realize there is a day of judgment. The demons know, the demons understand that. You. A third thing that the demons know, Jesus has a special compassion for human beings, for humanity. Above any other created being, above the animals, and even in a sense above the angels themselves, that redemption has been made possible for humanity. Can you imagine the curiosity of these demons, of these fallen angels. Think about it for a moment. These are in some way rational beings, even though their rational capacities are irrational because they've rebelled against God. But nonetheless, these these are thinking beings. Imagine their curiosity as they're looking at what has unfolded with the life of Jesus. They know Jesus is the Son of God. They know that He is their Creator who brought all things into being and all things even having been created for His glory to point to His wisdom, to point to His power for His adoration and worship and praise. They they know these truths because they were there when the rest of the creation work unfolded. They saw Jesus bring these things into being. They, They saw Jesus form man of the dust of the ground and breathe into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. They saw as Lucifer tempted Adam and Eve in the garden and the, uh, mankind rebels against God and enters into sin. They, they've watched this whole thing unfold. Can you imagine what might have been going through their mind as they are now witnessing God incarnate? God has become a human. He's taken on human flesh. He's veiled His glory in humanity. He, he needs air to breathe and food to eat and water to drink. 
I kind of think it was them that caused the storm in the midst of the sea in light of the, the context of the flow of the narrative here. Because they thought they could put an end to this incarnation of Christ. And they had no idea how it would end and what was to come. Remember, they're limited. They're finite beings. Imagine their curiosity now as they are facing Jesus, the Son of God incarnate, who has become a human being. They know the love that God has for humanity. They know the uniqueness of humanity and all of God's creation, that man and mankind alone has been created in the image of God, that man and mankind alone has a capacity to know God and experience God and fellowship with God in a capacity in a way that not even the angels know or experience, much less any other animal that has been created. And so they have tormented these two humans, these two men. Why? Why? Because human beings are the apple of God's eye, so to speak. They, they were tormenting humanity because they know that is, what, that is what offends God the best, the most, the worst, rather. And so they have possessed these two men. And if you read Mark's Gospel, they literally were running around naked. They were out of their mind, senile, crazy. Um, insane. They were vile. They were violent. Uh, they would attack anybody who came through. They lived among the tombs. They, they lived among the dead in the cemetery. There's a reason I don't like Halloween. <laughs> There's some demonic influence in a lot of what we celebrate. Jesus, the demons know that Jesus is not going to permit them to be cast out and enter into another human being. They don't want to go to the abyss. They don't want to be condemned eternally yet. And so they, they barter with Jesus and say, what about all those swine, those pigs over there? This is obviously a Gentile territory for the pigs to be a part of the herd that they're keeping. For the Jews, pigs are unclean. Uh, and so they're in a Gentile region. This is in the Decapolis. It's a Gentile a region of ten Gentile cities. And they say, how about we go over into these swine? And Mark records there were over 2,000 pigs that end up going into the, the sea there. And Jesus permits it. I hate to, I don't want to sound wrong that, that I'm against taking care of animals, but understand this, in, the, in the, the equation that Jesus presents here, two men are far more valuable than 2,000 pigs. Now, there's a goodness to taking care of nature and a goodness to seeing in every created um, Every created thing, the glory of God reflected. But understand this, humanity is, is worth more in the eyes of God. That Jesus died for humanity, not for animal life. Even though all creation will be redeemed. There, there is a greater value in the life of one human being than, than a multitude of animals. There's something unique in particular about God's created work with humanity. And so the demons know that perhaps God will grant them to, to exit uh, out of these two men and go into this, these, these pigs. Do you see people as Jesus sees them? The eyes of grace and mercy and compassion, seeing their need of salvation. I don't know about you, but I'd have gone nowhere near these two crazy guys. <laughs> you think about it. These guys were running around naked, attacking people in a cemetery. And Jesus is the one that goes to them. Jesus is the one that has mercy and compassion. Jesus is the one who can heal all of their 
all of the demon possession, all of the ailments that came upon them because of this. You know this is the Jesus that we serve. This is the Jesus that we have. This is the power of the Gospel that has been given to us, Jew and Gentile alike, the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. There is a lesson in the example of Jesus that we are to have compassion for humans, the other people, just as He did. And if we're not to see some as more worthy of the Gospel and others as less worthy of the Gospel, but we're to realize the person who is afflicted and who has who has experienced the, the deep, dark consequences of deep, dark sin is a lot more likely often to understand their need of a Savior, to understand just how bad they are, than the person who comes in every Sunday having it all put together. Like I know every Sunday I preach to many deaf ears. And I talk about how we're sinners in need of salvation, and I talk about God's love and grace and mercy and, and everybody in the room has probably got an intellectual belief that Jesus is God, that He's the Son of God, and that Jesus even died upon a cross for your sins. But, but have you really repented and believed? You know, one can never repent until they understand the gravity of their sin, the weight of their sin before God. God's trying to get a hold of somebody, but you can't sure already. <laughs> like, is that a demonic influence? This is where my mind's going. Like, I'm preaching the gospel and interruption trying to happen to get you off track because maybe God was beginning to prick your heart a little bit about the sinfulness of your sin and the need of repentance and the need of a Savior, the need of Jesus. Jesus has a special compassion for human beings. He has a special love and a grace and a mercy for you. (laughs) got to be a seminal fan. <laughs> Moving on, a fourth truth. A fourth truth that even the demons know. Even the demons know. Fourthly, some people love their little piggies more than they love Jesus. It's a weird account that unfolds 2,000 swine, Mark tells us the number, are filled with these demons who named themselves as legion. A legion with 6,000 men within the Roman army. And and you know the story probably from horror movies, unfortunately, more than your Bible. But I am legion, for we are many. Uh, They they are cast out of these two men. These men are miraculously healed. and, And they go into these swine, and the swine immediately go and run off the, the cliff basically down a steep incline into the sea and they and they drown. Right, why did they choose the pigs? I really don't know. What happened to them after they drowned? I don't know. The demons get 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 judged into the abyss? I think so. I think they're confined with other angels in hell. Um, Peter talks about that. Why did the pigs go running into the sea? Were they driven there by themselves? Maybe they couldn't bear the torment of these demons, whereas humanity with a special capacity of of human beings uh, are are more able to to tolerate it to some degree, and so they drove themselves. Were they driven there by Christ? It could be by Christ, because there is a a picture of judgment in what happened. The sea is often mentioned in the Bible as a symbol of the judgment of God, and there is a picture, uh, in a literal sense, unfolding of the spiritual realm that we cannot see, of, of the judgment. They are brought into the sea and they are drowned. Jesus has authority over the demons. 
Or was it that they were driven there by the demon themselves? And the demons drove them into the sea. Because they knew full good and well that there's a lot of people that would choose to send Jesus away at the loss of such a financial investment. Ultimately, what happens, I, I think all three of those are true, by the way. I think there's a weird intermix of how all of those come together in, in what occurred. Ultimately, what happens, though, is the demons accomplish what the media does every election season. <laughs> okay, what, what happens? A fireworks show over here, the smoke screen to get your attention of, off of this over here. Okay, masters, politicians, media, all masters of, of directing attention over here so you forget about over here. Ultimately, that's what happens. They, they put a little show on of 2,000 swine going into the sea that, that, again, is a great financial loss to the community to distract from the fact that Jesus just freed these two men that, that for many, many years had been literally out of their mind, crazy, demon-possessed, naked people living among a cemetery. And the saving of these two men were forgotten, was forgotten in the midst of the loss of these 2,000 dead pig, pig corpses floating in the sea. And so we read in verse 34, And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. They heard the crazy of what had happened. That those maniacs that lived in the cemetery were actually healed. But, but more concerning to their hearts was, 2,000 pigs are dead in the sea. And when they saw him, they didn't, they didn't step back in astonishment and amazement at the power of God to say a word and the demons flee and these men are healed. No, what did they do? They begged Him to depart from their region. Now, whether this is just out of the fear of the craziness of it all, they're saying, Jesus, you just, just go, get away. Or, or whether more likely even this entails an aspect of the financial loss because 2,000 pigs, that was a severe financial loss. I don't know enough to know the financial equivalent, but let's just say in our day and age we put a 1,000 bucks on a pig, that's a lot of money that they just lost, dead, drowned in the sea. And so they proclaim Jesus, they beg even, Jesus, go away. You are too costly to stay. Do you love your piggies more than Jesus? Now a pig is an unclean animal. I don't want to allegorize it, but a pig is an unclean animal. In the Bible, I think it's the right application to say, do you love your sin more than you love Jesus? I'd rather live my life doing the things I want to do, how I want to do it, when I want to do it, and and the whole self-fulfillment, self-expression ideology, do what you want. I can't follow Jesus because that means I know I can't do these things. There's a lot of people that love the pig of their sin a whole lot more than they love Christ. And they beg Jesus to depart. They don't repent and believe and follow. They say, go away, Christ. Pigs were a financial investment. As I just mentioned, 2,000 pigs was worth a lot of money. Do you love your stuff more than you love Jesus? I'd really want to give to missions, but, you know, I've got to buy this and buy that and get the next greatest iPhone and eat lunch out and dinner out. And, like, do you really love Christ 
if it costs suffering to follow Him, if it's costly even with your materialistic possessions to sacrifice, to give to Him. The demons know that some people love piggies more than Jesus. Do you? Ultimately, that's, that's what this story leaves us with. We're meant to kind of step back in a little bit of shock at the crazy of all that Jesus did in this situation and in the response of the people. They didn't believe. They didn't turn to Him and rejoice at the salvation of those two demon-possessed men. But they begged Him to depart. It's been written that the miracles of Jesus reveal His compassion, display His authority, and affirm His identity. We've seen this over and over again in the Gospel of Matthew. That the miracles of Jesus reveal His compassion, His love for humanity. They uh, display His authority, that He has power over sickness. He has power over nature. He has power even over the demons. And they affirm His identity, that He truly is the Son of God incarnate. And they force you to make a decision about Jesus. Will you follow Him? Or will you beg Him to depart? And that's the question that's presented even here this morning to you, having examined His Word, and hopefully I pray His Spirit speaking to you through His Word being proclaimed, will you receive Christ, repent, and believe upon Him, and follow Him? Or or will you leave here begging Him to depart? And saying, no, it's too costly. No, it's too weird. It's too strange. Are you smarter? than a pig demon. Are you more spiritual than a pig demon? I pray so. Heavenly Father, we come to You and I do just ask that You would work in this place at this time. Lord, as we've looked to a, a strange story in the life of Christ, even more so for our day and age and our culture and our way of thinking. Lord, we... We acknowledge Your Word as truth. This is a real event that happened, but it teaches us about Christ and our need for Him. Lord, we know the demons know much about who You are, much about Christ. There is a belief that they have that is mirrored in the hearts of so many. It's intellectual for them. Lord, if there's someone here who's never repented and believed, never turned from their sin, never confessed their sinfulness before You, we pray that now they would, they would turn to You different from a demon's belief. A belief that acknowledges your grace and your mercy. A belief that, that, that turns to you. Doesn't just tip a hat of, of intellectual acknowledgement of you. And then walks away undifferent, unchanged. But a belief that, that, that brings us in humble brokenness to just cast ourselves independently upon you, knowing we are utterly lost without you, without your love, without what Christ did for us. Lord, save the lost of eternity. For all of us who know you, I pray we would leave here just renewed. And the cost of following you and the sacrifice is worth it all. We would give of our money, give of our time, give of our